is we, we, we try to preach on the cross before Easter every year because of how important it is. And it is one of those um, sermon series that I look forward to the most. Uh, another interesting thing, I um, have my notes. I gave them to Gabriel, who normally runs slides. And he said, I haven't seen typed up notes in two years. And it's because Jim Bob handwrites his. And I've been so involved with getting City Point Online kicked off and everything. This is the first time I've gotten to talk in two years. It's crazy. It's been a while. Um, but to start off, we have a new building. Um, we're moving into a new community, really. We have, I know we've always had members from Springdale, but we've never met in Springdale. So uh, we're super excited about that. And it's kind of got me thinking about how to get our name out, how to get our message out. Um, kind of a little bit of the marketing side of church work. I mean, it is, it is God's, God's work and God's mission that we're, we're bringing to the world, but I'm um, just kind of thinking about that and it reminded me of a few, few, few years ago, I think it's been over six now, where I talked about this very same thing whenever we were planting and um, how it's made that the organization that makes the videos um, kind of gave four things that are, are used to create a good slogan and a good logo. And those four things are, you need to make it memorable um, you need to make it differentiate your brand. It needs to include a key benefit, so something that's going to benefit the person who's hearing it, and that it imparts positive feelings about the brand. Those four things are what they say make, make a good slogan or logo. So I have just a few. We're going to run through this, and this is an interactive portion. So if you're here in the room, you're going to yell out the company. If you're online, you can jump down in the comments and see if you can be the first one uh, to type this in. So I'm going to read their slogan. You tell me what the company is. Whose slogan is, just do it. Nice. That was pretty quick. How about this one? This is a little bit different. Think different. Apple. Oh, we got a couple of people who are Apple fans. Um, I'm loving it. Yeah, you probably could have gotten that with ba 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 ba. Can you hear me now? That's a little bit older. Yeah, Verizon. Um, the few, the proud, the Marines. Uh, melt in your mouth, not in your hands. M and M's. Uh, it's everywhere you want to be. Oh, we got it from the overflow room. Visa. It's everywhere you want to be. Um, you're in good hands with. I'll stay. Like a good neighbor? Yeah, State Farm. So we have these like slogans and they bring the company to mind and we already have a feeling about that company. Um, then we kind of think about the way um, the companies also use their logo, right? The, these are recognizable no matter where you are in the world. Um, you know the company oftentimes just from a, a shape, like a swoosh. Um, and then we think about Christ and how he ran his ministry. And I can't help but think, but Peter was definitely the um, marketing disciple. Um, always worried about uh, what, what they looked like and the message that they were bringing. And Jesus would, you know, he, he said some really good things. I mean, he was God. But um, he would say things like, there was a man who said, I want to follow you, but my father is dying, so I'm going to go bury him first. And Jesus said this slogan, let the dead bury their dead. That's a, that's a pretty rough slogan. Not easy to get behind. Or, and I know the disciples look forward to this talk all the time. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. I don't know if that, I don't know if that brings to mind uh, positive feelings. Um, but I think we could definitely say like the slogan and the um, logo for Christianity would have to be the cross and Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me. We, you find it everywhere, right? 
People wear it on necklaces. They have it hanging from their rearview mirror. Um, if you get into uh, the, like the Catholic church, they even have rosaries. They hold the cross whenever they pray. We see the cross everywhere. So let's see how the Christian slogan and logo live up to those four aspects that how it's made said make a, a good slogan. It's definitely memorable. I have vivid memories. My dad's side of the family are all Catholic. I have vivid memories of my great aunt's house as a little child and just staring up at her crucifix. Um, like one of my earliest memories. It definitely differentiates, differentiates the brand. There aren't very many religions whose logo is an instrument of capital punishment. But the last two, does the slogan have a key benefit and does it impart positive feelings to the person who hears it? When you hear, pick up your cross and follow me, what are the key benefits? And I think that kind of can seem selfish, but it is the point of the sermon today. What does the cross do for me? <clears throat> Most of the world would say nothing. The cross means nothing. It was the end of the story of Jesus. Um, for the Jews, a, a crucified Messiah wouldn't even make sense. Right? They were looking for a savior, but not one who would die. They were looking for one who would free them from the Romans. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what does the cross do for me? N.T. Wright in his uh, book, The Day the Revelation Began, uh, he, he puts it this way. The point of trying to understand the cross better is not so that we can congratulate ourselves for having solved an intellectual crossword puzzle, but so that God's power and wisdom may work in us, through us, and out into the world that still regards Jesus' crucifixion as weakness and folly. So in order to fully understand the cross, um, we kind of have to rethink our idea of salvation, right? What it means to be us, the saved. Um, and I think most of us have some kind of false connotation to what salvation is. Um, maybe uh, to you, salvation is harps in the sky on a cloud for the rest of eternity. That's not what salvation is. Um, maybe salvation to you is getting your uh, get out of hell free card punched uh, so that you don't have to worry about uh, being tortured forever. Uh, that's not what salvation is. Salvation isn't something that happened. It is something that is happening, right? We can look back to that day we were saved, but that isn't what salvation is. Just like looking back on your wedding day isn't what being married is. So to understand, we have to rethink the beginning. And this, again, is, is something that N.T. Wright talks a lot about, to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and understand what happened in the garden. Um, man was created and placed in this perfect environment with a vocation, with a job. More than a job, though, a job that also had a purpose. And he explains it this way. We're like an angled mirror. Humanity was created to be an angled mirror. 
We reflect God's love and rule into the world around us, right? He was told to, to tend the garden. I don't have a green thumb. You might not have a green thumb either. You'd probably kill a fake plant. Um, but that's not what was the point. It was not gardening. It was tending the creation. And then our second job as an angled mirror is to reflect creation's worship back up to God because that's what sets us apart from the rest of creation, worshiping our Father. Um, and so the mistake that was made in the garden, we think of sin as breaking rules, but what it was was a loss of vocation. We had messed up our job. Instead of ruling in place of God in creation, we were allowing creation to rule us. Instead of worshiping or reflecting creation's worship up to God, we started to worship creation. And so he kicked us out of the garden and he gave us a pink slip. We were fired. We don't, we don't have that job. And the story that he is writing is us getting our vocation back. So sin is our misalignment, oh, our misalignment with the will of God. It is um, doing our own plan, but you can also think about it as trying to figure out our job on our own, not doing what he created us to do. Again, N.T. Wright, he, he has such insight into this. He says, um, when God looks at sin, what he sees is what a violin maker would see if the player used his lovely creation as a tennis racket. It's not what it was created to be. So we've rebelled. We told God that we know the right way. Uh, we've gone off on our own course. We're headed for destruction. And luckily for us, God provided the cross and salvation. And the first part of that salvation is forgiveness. The Bible says justification. The power of the cross is justification. Uh, some of us are familiar with Paul's letter to the church in Rome, specifically Romans 2, sorry, 3, 23, 24. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, um, but we've been justified by grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Um, I really like, though, how the message paraphrase puts it. It puts it like this. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened the God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there's no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sins, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he puts us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he wants us to be. And he did it by means of Christ, of Jesus Christ. So for most people, their understanding of salvation ends there, right? That we are forgiven, um, that we've been cleared that our debt has been paid, and definitely that forgiveness is the good news, right? It is the gospel, but it's not, it's not all of it. It's because being forgiven by itself um, just isn't enough. 
We look back to that first book in Genesis and we see a story. It's a pretty bad situation. God looks over all of humanity, right? And this is after the Tower of Babel when they've been spread out. And he sees that humanity is just focused on evil and finding new ways to be evil. And it's everywhere. Does that sound familiar? But he's able to find one man who's still trying to walk with God. And that man's name is Noah. And that's the beginning of the story of Noah and the ark. And so in one fell swoop, uh, God cleanses the whole world through water. It's kind of like baptism, right? We, we get saved and we get baptized when we commit our life to Christ. But we see in that story that the ark had a stowaway. Now, Sunday school normally ends with the rainbow, but the story of Noah keeps going. Immediately after the flood, Noah plants a, bit, a vineyard, grows some grapes, turns them into wine, and gets sloshed. And then something happens between Noah and his son that the Bible isn't explicit about, but it's a way of letting us know that sin made it through the cleansing in the heart of Noah. So there has to be something more, something more than just the forgiveness. And that's the second aspect of salvation. The power of the cross is sanctification. And I know we're getting into some, some Christianese words here. Um, so we're going to kind of give it uh, a, uh, a word picture. In the late 90s, the German government, and specifically the state of, of Saxony, sold three castles. And each of those castles sold for one German mark. That would be spending 50 cents on a castle. And you think, wow, we living in a castle for 50 cents. But the German government had an underlying agreement. If you bought that castle, you agreed to restore it consistent with its historical architecture, which means besides that 50 cents, each castle came with an additional price tag of at least $10 million worth of renovations. It wasn't enough for God to just forgive us. It wasn't enough for him to just purchase us. And by itself, that is an unbelievable sell price. He did not spend 50 cents on your soul. But he agreed that you're a fixer-upper and you're worth the time. Paul writes in his uh, letter to the Philippians that God has started a good work in you. When he got ready to create everything, he rolled up his sleeves and he spoke it into existence with a word. But he's willing to take the time to work on you. And that's sanctification. Lost my place. Um, yeah. So not only did he free us and forgive us, but he has given us our job back. We are now renewed mirrors reflecting God's rule and love into the world around us and reflecting creation's worship back up to him. And the cool part is that it's, that's different for each one of us. The way that that looks, right? It's not all getting up on Sunday morning and preaching. 
It's not all going to some third world country and serving. It's a change in perspective for your parenting, for me, for teaching, for interactions with your coworkers and your boss, like to know that that is your vocation now, to reflect his rule and love into the world around you and then reflect the creation's worship back up to him. Uh, but it's not easy, right? And we're still falling and we still make mistakes and the world around us is a rough place. But that brings us to the third part of salvation and the power of the cross, glorification. The story that we're telling has an ending. The great narrator has a glorious conclusion. Paul writes about it in multiple different places, right? His letter to the Philippians that I was talking to you about, he's started a work in you and he's gonna see it through until it is complete on the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make things easy, but it does give us hope. It does give us something to look forward to. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here at the end of the service for this last song, we're also going to be taking communion together. Right? We have our cracker that represents the broken body of Christ and the juice that represents his spilled blood. And the, I think the coolest part about that, Paul says in one of his letters that um, in taking communion, we are announcing Christ's death until he returns. Um, Paul also said that if they had known what would have happened at the crucifixion, Satan and his powers, both spiritual and earthly, would have never crucified Jesus Christ. Because in that act, he won his victory. On that cross, he bought us back. So the cross is the pen that is writing our story. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's the key that sets you free from the power of sin and the punishment for your guilt. The cross is the fulcrum and the lever that bends your will back into alignment with his. And the most exciting part is it's the bridge that connects us and our temporary struggles with the glory and power of the eternal God and our existence forever with him. May we understand the cross better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story that you are telling, that your idea was the cross from the very beginning. You wanted to redeem mankind. And so we thank you that no matter the struggle that we're in, if we are lost completely in addiction and sin, we know that your cross has paid the price and forgiven us. When life is tough, we can look forward to the work that you're doing 
and that day when we will get to be with you forever, fulfilling our vocation, not on some cloud playing some harp, but reflecting your rule into the world around us and reflecting creation's worship back to you for all of eternity. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the song together.